Midnight Run Action Pack. <laughs> What's that mean? The Midnight Run Action Pack was a made-for-TV movie series for Universal Television's Action Pack in 1994. So, there's basically like three rubbish t made-for-TV spin-offs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That were made in 1994. Absolutely. And they're all written by the same guy as well. They've all got really uh, funny uh, titles as well. Like, yeah, another uh, Midnight Run, Midnight Run Around, and Midnight Run for Your Life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really trying to squeeze the uh, squeeze the um, olive oil out. Yeah. Olive. But two of them have got somebody called... Oh, Jack Walsh is now played by Christopher McDonald. Yeah. It turns out his bail bondsman, bondsman friend, Eddie Moscone, has two... What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Joe Pantoliano's character. Yes. So, Jack is heavily in debt, and it's his daughter's birthday. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarity ensues three times more. And then... Oh, yeah, so it's just the same three act. Yes, this, that's bizarre. I had no idea that was even a thing. But shall we begin? Yes. Let's begin. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Required Reading, a film podcast. Um, very pleased to have you all here listening to us um, using your ears um, through a device that runs on electricity connected to what is known as the internet, where you did a, a level of navigation, clicking on links and clicking on us, and we appreciate that you've done that. It's really, we uh, we we really appreciate it. But um, but who's the we? You know about me. My name's Alex. Um, the we, meaning the other person that, that isn't me, is Dan. Hello, Dan. Hey, Alex. How are you? How's it going? I'm all right. You know, nine weeks into lockdown, everything's fine. You know, everything's yeah. Well, I mean, it's one right. of those. It's, you, you, we're not really sure how we all are right now, is it? It's one of those um, very strange, uh, uncharted territory of the mind. Um, <laughs> this lockdown, where it's like the the idea of being fine and okay is is yeah. this neb nebulous concept. It it really is. Uh, yeah. It's given me a newfound respect for anyone that's ever participated in Big Brother. Big Brother, although there was, up until a while ago, I haven't checked in on them, there was a Big Brother that was running um, that went over lockdown. Is it in, yeah, Germany, in Germany or something? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether they're out yet. We'll have to, we'll have to check on that. Um, yeah, but they didn't know anything about it. They were all around, you know, kissing each other and in each other's uh, water droplet zones, and uh, they had no idea. But, um, <laughs> water but anyway, droplet I, zones? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what we—that's what we, that's what social distancing keeps us out of, so our natural water droplet zones. That's scientific, <laughs> by the way. Um, um, we are a podcast with a little bit of a difference. We're a film podcast that's run kind of like a book club, where we on Twitter we say out into the world which film we're going to be watching and we ask you our listener stroke reader to uh, watch that film and let us know what you thought and then we kind of talk through it and just to get that feeling of when you've just left the cinema uh, there was once such a thing called a cinema that you went to and watched the film together and then when you came out of cinema you're all like thinking and your mind was fresh of 
the ideas of the movie and you were thinking oh what did I think of that and sometimes you're a little bit nervous about what to say and you didn't know whether to really say your true feelings and wait till your friend said yes they liked it or you know some of my really most amazing moments of film have been in that that tiny little gap between you know saying what you thought of a film and so I thought it'd be fun to have a podcast that kind of tried to talk to that um and this is it you're listening to it now this is our 19th episode and the film that we have decided to uh, to cover is called Midnight Run from uh, 1988. Um, why? Why choose that film, I hear you think? Um, well, fans of the podcast will know that back when we uh, eventually decided to do Birdman, um, we just, we wanted to try a mechanic of doing a, a blind spot episode of... Uh, talking through a film that you know that you should have seen but haven't quite got around to seeing just to kind of give you the impetus to see it and this one dan was your choice midnight run would you like to tell us a little bit of why why it's taken you so darn long to watch this film it was just one of those that's fallen by the wayside like so mm. so many have um and it was just one that i came across while browsing uh netflix one day and i was like oh, you know what i've never seen midnight run <laughs> And I hear so many good things about it. It just seems uh, like the the perfect candidate. So, yeah, nothing, nothing more than that, really. More than just mm. curiosity and, as ever, having this podcast as a, as a genuine uh, excuse to get around to watching it. It's It's... One of the true joys of these services, these VOD services, is to have that moment where you're searching for a film and you've seen all the stuff and it's like, oh, you want to watch Friends again, all these things so many times. And it's like, oh, I've always really wanted to watch this film and it's right there, ready to go, a click away. You don't have to spend any money. You can just sit down and watch it. And, and, that, and those moments are a real highlight of, of VOD services for me. Um my personal relationship with the film is I um, I had I had seen it I saw it uh, in my youth. Um, it was known to me as a little bit of a of a kind of a naughty one of the naughty films. Um, yes. In that it has a lot of swearing in it, and it was um, a little bit of a uh, a bit of a naughty film to watch. In that um, had Robert De Niro in it, who'd been in lots of gangster films. And I wasn't allowed to watch those films quite yet but I could watch uh, I could watch these ones uh, so it had that that connected to it and yeah something about legacy and seeing films at a certain point in your life and then seeing a film later and your feelings towards it is something I want to get back to but first the big question always uh, ever starts pretty much every episode is uh, Dan what did you think of Midnight Run? Uh, I think with Midnight Run, I, I I regret leaving it so long, but not necessarily for the reasons that you might think. Hmm. I think I think watching it closer to the time that it was made, and possibly if I'd watched it around the same time you had, when it had that slightly taboo, you know, forbidden factor hmm. being an eighteen-rated film and all that, yeah, would have been, would have improved its quality for me. As it stands, it felt like an interesting snapshot of a different era of filmmaking. It, there's a, many aspects of it that just feel like a bit like a relic, mm. you know, just having a, a, it's, it's, it's an incredibly, even though the lead character does have to go through lots of, um, has to really confront himself and has to re really reflect on his life and things. It, it is fundamentally like a very, 
overly sweary, overly macho, lots of scenes of chain smoking, you know, all, all these kind of things that were just acceptable in the 80s all seem really incongruous now. It just, it seems mm. odd to watch in a way, to, to see a hero sort of portrayed uh, in that way. Um, it's also a lot longer than I was anticipating. I, I tended to think that films of that era, of that type, tended to go into, into, come into that magical 90 minutes. And I thought yeah. it, it felt overlong to me. Right. Um, it, it, I think it dragged out a fairly straightforward body action premise, maybe about half an hour too long. I think I think at the point that was half an hour left of the film, I, I did do a little watch checking, mm. um, which has led me to believe that this podcast is now the home of, of us watching overlong Robert De Niro films. <laughs> I know. This is our third film with Robert De Niro in it. We've definitely got some kind of a Bobby D problem. Um, this is also his sort of second kind of foray into comedy and it is the next time he tried it after uh, after the king of comedy which we have also covered in our um yeah in our pantheon of of episodes um whereas where, where, the king of comedy was more of a very very black comedy this is probably the first time i guess that he attempted straight comedy because until think- yeah and t- until later on, yeah. Yeah, until like analyze this and meet the parents and that sort of suspect era of De Niro. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. But I think it's really interesting to have a look at this as a study of De Niro. It's not, not to over intellectualize it, um, but I will a little bit. <laughs> um, is that he obviously was at the top of his game? So he he won his Oscar, um, and he was moving into seeing the type of movie that he wanted to make, the kind of actor that he wanted to be. Um, he had just done um, the Untouchables, which is pretty much a, a nadir of um, of uh, Italian American. You know, playing Al Capone is pretty much, you know, it's right there, isn't it? It doesn't get much more uh, mobster than, than than playing the big guy. That's the zenith, then. The Nadir is the, the bottom. What I mean is that he he had got to a point where he obviously didn't want to do that anymore is is the point i'm making that he yes, wanted he didn't to want to be the gangland guy yeah he wanted you know he wanted to try and get out of this rut of you know if if it, there are no more there's, there's nothing worse you know if you didn't want to be typecast anymore al capone is pretty much you know where <laughs> where you are it's and so you can tell his next few movies that he wanted to that he is, is all a reach somewhere else and this is one of the the biggest grabs for another type of role i feel you know he would go on to do yeah, he would delve back into it for goodfellas which is obviously the exception that that, that that proves this rule so um he went he did stanley and iris which was a um film where he played uh, an illiterate uh character uh, with jane fonda um awakenings yes um backdraft and Cape Fear, which is obviously oh, yeah. really um, a, a totally different sort of style of character. And I don't know, this film for me is where he really is reaching for something that I'm not sure he gets to. He's not an action hero. He's not a that sort of clean cut guy. He's obviously cool and amazing. And when he does rely on those things that made, his, that made him so successful at playing those gangster characters, 
it's the most successful part of this film. It's when he, you know, tries to do the the sort of the moral compass character bit where I th- it, it doesn't it doesn't quite land for me. Um, but the scene later on, and uh, one of our reviews talks to that, is the scene with his daughter later on. You really get that sense of just how much in control of a scene he is um yeah i agree it is slightly long and 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 i will say it isn't quite as good as i remember it being but (laughs) that scene in particular is great that would that one where where he sees his daughter and he's not really saying anything and he's not quite sure what to say and you know the tale of morality is 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 something i want to come back to um later on but um let's let's go into one of our our first review we've uh james buttress uh opens uh opens our reviews with um i wasn't necessarily expecting to like midnight run but i did i thought it might be dated it wasn't except perhaps the soundtrack the quips were great the stunts were surprising good and the violence was, was right where it needed to be de niro is very watchable and his comic timing is impeccable although for me it was grodin that stole the show his subtle looks and expressions i loved his wise but almost infantile pestering of de niro and his short turn as an fbi agent was incredible i actually want to watch a whole film of that but did he even exist when de niro turns around at the end and grodin has vanished was he actually some kind of angel or fairy godmother it was perhaps a little bit baggy in places, but it was funny enough, smart enough, violent enough. A good time was had by all. It's no raging bull, but it's a fine film nonetheless. Nice. Thank you. Thank you, James. That was a, that was a cool review. Um, yeah, let's talk about uh, Charles Grodin. Um, he plays uh, our uh, the Duke, Duke, the uh, chap being taken back to L.A. What did you what's your experience of him in films? Have you um, seen him before? Charles Fairly Grodin? zero, to be honest. Really? Um, yeah, really an unknown quantity to me he's um he's he's quite a cool um quite a cool chap i first was introduced to him um i am a big uh very big steve martin fan um really like all his uh his earlier films and uh, he was in a film with steve martin called the lonely guy um which is a really really great film very ahead of its time and i am um, i really uh um recommend you guys to watch it it's from 1984 it's a sort of romantic comedy where steve martin plays this guy that loses his girlfriend and is down on his luck and he meets uh charles groden's character who teaches him how to be a lonely guy about how to get on without other people in your life and this sort of sad sort of way of living it's, it was it's not one of steve martin's best films but it's a really interesting film because uh charles groden kind of really plays his character really well like he has these parties and a in a foreshadowing of of the home alone scene with the cutouts you know he has these um he has this his apartment's full of celebrity cutouts that he calls his friends and uh, he sort of has these conversations with them it's and it's it's really good it's um it's a uh, yeah well worth a watch it's um e- e- an easy watch but i i really like charles groden i think he is a um quite an underrated underrated actor and i do think that he is good in this film he um sort of underplays comedy and he uh he plays uh the dad in in beethoven doesn't he the, he does um, yes the, the, yeah. so funnily the, the thing i know him from most recently was actually the series louis ck's series louis of um, course yeah where he played doctor uh, the doctor in it um mm. yeah and it was was always incredible in it yeah yeah dr bigelow Dr. Bigelow, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, was was just always uh, was always a scene stealer in it. So, yeah, yeah. that that's 
probably aside because I I haven't even seen I don't think I've even seen Beethoven to be honest. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I wouldn't say it's essential. No, <laughs> would, but yeah, he's he's one of those actors that I've seen more of than I think. Um, he was in While We're Young, uh, with with Ben Stiller. Mm, yeah. Uh, no No Bambuck film. Adam Driver. Those guys. But yeah, he's he's clearly one of those guys that. I've come across in his latter roles where if you know him and he appears like oh that's Charles Grodin but if you don't know him then it's just like oh that guy's funny I like him um so so yes I, and I, I, he was a great counter to De Niro's incredibly sweary man mm. which, which 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 was funny actually because when I saw that the film was an 18 mm. I fully expected it to be a lot more violent than it was a lot of the violence was bloodless it was tv style action yeah something you'd expect from the 18 or Dukes of Hazard most of the time lots of people you know shooting and missing people getting shot and just falling over with no you know with no squibs mm. nothing like that it was it was fairly limp on that side and then yeah. and then it all seems to be based around the language and I was surprised in this day and age that the film hasn't been re-rated almost because this does it does happen a lot with films and I'm surprised that that film still netted an 18 I've seen I've seen far worse in 15 rated films it was a lot tamer overall than I anticipated yeah it's um it's 114 fucks um in the movie which is which is quite high so i think that's probably where it um where it gets it from but i think overall i do think there's something about this film that it is a bit of a forgotten film slightly and um i uh, when watching it uh, we finished uh, when we finished the movie uh, vic said uh, it really reminded her of uh, planes trains and automobiles um which is something i'd never really considered but that film came out the year before this huh. and i think it is probably superior in every way when you think about it about the the two characters and what happens in the movie and it's obviously a lot broader so there's not as much swearing so um so it's it's available to a a more a a broader audience than this it's it's really interesting as as a counterpoint yes i think i think i think some people really enjoy films where people shout and swear a lot you know Mm. when people say that the hangover is a comedy classic and i go it's it's a it's a fairly witless (laughs) film where people shout and swear at each other a lot. That was generally my takeaway from from this as well. There were moments that did make me chuckle. Um, I think my favourite was when Charles Groding is posing as the FBI Mm. agent as well, as as James said, like, and he's just going through the counterfeit bills. And that was genuinely a chance for him to to do something in the film, whereas most of the time he was just sort of badgering De Niro. Uh, And the Mm. moment he got a chance to do a little more outside of that, the film like immediately got... 10 times funnier yeah as you say as james said you know you wanted to see more of that like a film of that whereas de niro sort of dominated proceedings for most of it and um as you say didn't quite hit the mark as um leading action man which is why we didn't really see much more of him doing that down the line and i don't i've never really bought into his comic talents I, I mentioned his other forays into it and i've just i've just i've never really seen what other people clearly see in de niro when apart from the fact that he's you know playing against type as it were yeah I, I've, I've never really found him to be among the, the the great comic actors being able to do comedy is definitely underrated and i think there is a, 
a lot of comedians can switch to being serious and you know when when robin williams would do that who um incidentally was uh, a bolt-on for playing charles grodin's character at one point oh really um, during yeah during, during a pre-production for this film but um de niro really wanted to push for charles grodin they had like a real uh, chemistry that they um and it it moved from universal to paramount or, or, or backwards and forwards i can't remember exactly which one but um and and I think when Robin Williams turned to doing serious stuff, I think it worked really well. The reason why he was attached to this is he had just done um, Good Morning Vietnam, and that had this real serious side to it. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but yes. it, it, he handled it really well. But De Niro got such an intensity to him that I think that it does hamper his comedy it's what ultimately helps him in the king of comedy because it's there's something else he's not funny funny he's there's something else to him but in this where you the the points where you need him to be really funny he doesn't quite get there even though i do really like the film and i think i do actually want to try and set the record straight we've been quite critical of it so far i do really like this film it's it it came in a time of my life, as I say, when I this was a, a real bridge into more adult sort of style films, and I went on to watch other things. It's kind of like a soft drug into you know harder films. Um, <laughs> that I think if you watch it a little earlier, it can help as as a little bit of a bridge. I, I don't really know how else to describe it, but it's um you know it, it it does it does work in that in that form. And I think yeah, understand now as seeing it now, it it might look a little dated. Uh, something that's definitely dated, as James alludes to, is the score. Um, oh, Danny Elfman. Early, Danny early Elfman. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yeah. very very fresh off the Oingo Boingo train with this, wasn't he? Mm, yeah, really um really feels like a a bit of a journeyman. Uh, performance of um, this is exactly what's needed because it's Beetlejuice came out this same year that's obviously gave us a lot more of an insight into the type of score that he would be doing yes for forever you know <laughs> so <laughs> you know I kind of think that this is a this is a really strange uh, a strange one as a um, as a you know document of, of of where he was and, w- and what he used to do and yeah no uh, no um choirs in sight here you know that would come to um no i would i would say in some regards it actively detracts from the film at times it's Mm, it's really it's it's corny i think is the best it dates it yeah it really dates it i mean i i I mean i disagree when i don't the film's dated i think the film is very dated across the board um not in a bad way And 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 as i say if you're looking at this from the perspective of someone who's enjoyed it over the years and you know knows the lines and remembers the moments it, for you to watch it again fills you with much more with warmer feelings, doesn't it? Whereas for me, as someone who's obviously watched every film that's come since this film that was inspired by it, you really see where I guess the challenging of 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 cliche and convention has come in since. And so when you go back to where it not necessarily started, but one of the sort of forebears of it. It's it's harder to appreciate it as anything other than you know a, a, than a template that others built on. I think I think it has a, a lot of strengths to it, but it, it there was so much where I was like, well, I kind of know exactly where all of this is going because there have been so many films since that have acknowledged it. I guess that, that have been you know treated in a postmodern fashion or or just or, or tweaked it but it came off as fairly predictable and all those things but you realize that had you watched it in 1988 it, it wouldn't have been any of those things mm. so I, I'm, I'm stuck in this sort of quandary where it's like i 
I'm trying to put myself in the position of someone watching it at the time it was made, yeah, as opposed to someone who's benefited from the last thirty odd years of buddy cop movies, mm. and and to have been fatigued by them for for yes. so long, you know, it was really fresh. You know, this is the director of uh, Beverly Hills Cop. You know, this is uh, you know, in its defence, a scene that I want to draw attention to is is later on when they're in on a um uh, in in one of the, the the sort of the last third of the film, um, the Duke turns round to, to to Jack and says, uh, "Have you ever had sex with an animal?" And they laugh about it. And it's kind of the real breaking down of their character. You know, they're laughing about, you know, chickens and you yes. know, and, and having fun with a chicken. And that bit in particular, I, I really remember as being so funny when I was younger. And I thought it was really, it really felt like this quite naturalistic conversation, you know, between friends, you know, where you're joking around. And it was, it was really well pitched but watching it now it felt so dated in the age of Judd Apatow the the other guys you know all of those all of that kind of comedy which has now been ramped to a thousand that that is a real example of a type of scene that I think is actually quite innovative for the time you know that kind of conversation was not happening in movies that sort of silly irreverent you know surreal conversation and it was it was an ad lib by Grodin um they just they decided on you know it wasn't in the script they just wanted something that they knew that De Niro would laugh at they just wanted something in that scene that just just really kind of warmed warmed it up and soften him a little yeah soften him a little and when we consider now that you know Anchorman or the you know the McKay films or the you know the as I say the Apatow films are built on that energy it does especially look dated now and seem dated now but yeah this is a lot time before that and trying to do that style of film it's interesting it's directed by a chap called martin brest mm-hmm. who i'm not sure that you have, have seen many other of his films apart from beverly hills cop he uh, also directed meet joe black um the uh, brad pitt film yep. uh, scent of a woman as well and, yeah and it, quite interesting films i feel with strong actors he um, gets good performances out of out of actors. Um, and I think Scent of a Woman, Pacino won an Oscar for. Yes. But also, I do feel that the world moved on from Martin Brest movies. And I thought it was a, um, yeah, an, a, an, an interesting one to, to, to see it through that perspective as well. It just really is an attempt at something, this film. It really is a, oh, it's just, it just, time hasn't been kind. But it's so, it's can... so well loved. The thing is like, it's, it's almost universally revered. So it was mm. one of those times where I felt like, am I, am I missing something? Like, because if you're talking of yeah, action you films, it. If, if you're talking of action films around a similar time, you know, Die Hard, mm. same year, same year. Like, as an action film, Die Hard shits all over it. Then you talk about buddy comedies. You mentioned Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Again, a far better example of that as well. I find it very strange that this is so revered when there are other films around there that I can watch time and time again uh, of the same year that just don't feel anywhere near as sluggish. There were other films around that era that I thought were were far superior. So I I, I kind of came away with the same feeling of this. I'm just trying to think like when did when did the um, original Lethal Weapon Lethal Weapon came out the year before this. Mm. You know Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon Two again brilliant marriages of that relationship between two characters who have friction but but mixed with comedy. I mean the original Lethal Weapon 
relied less on the comedy aspect. It was they sort of leaned more into it from two onwards, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, when I when I think of the other films around that era and wonder, and people go, "Oh, why didn't Midnight Run get the same re- recognition?" I'm like, oh, probably because there were, there were better films dealing with the same sort of subject matter around the around the time. I think the film feels oddly dated, even held up against those. It's peers. It is an interesting one, and I do admit I keep going. You've gone back to more often. One goes back to those films more often, and you don't feel the need to go back to Midnight Run. And I haven't felt the need, and I haven't seen it in in absolute years. And and I definitely remember it fond more fondly than than being thinking about it for this podcast and being a little more critical of it. Um, there are some bits, and I think I will. You know, I will go to bat for it a little more the attempt at morality i think is so interesting in this film and this is something that stuck with me when i was when i was young and i was watching it this idea of a character that is really wrestling with the uh, like what like what is the right thing to do um he's a an ex-cop who is a cop ex-cop because of uh, not wanting to um, give in to the mob, not wanting yeah. to take money. Um, he is trying to take back a um, an informant, uh, you know, a snitch, who ultimately has done it to steal money and give it to uh, people that, that don't have it, to give it to charity. And it, it, it is an int- a really interesting premise. And the obviously the arc of the characters is based around, you know, do you look after yourself or do you... Um, or do you do you know do what's right and it's something just that that does hit me at the moment you know quite hard i i you know this during this you know lockdown period i have found myself thinking about morals and and this film did it is one of is a film that i do think asks a, a really interesting question um and 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 that 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 part of it that 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 tortured ness of it i do think is something that de niro does really well his ability to look into the middle ground of a scene and you can just see his mind churning things over it's something that he's brought to obviously so many characters but in this it does work particularly well and particularly effective on me just those little ticks of his where he's thinking he's thinking about things and and and, and as a main character is it I do think it's successful in that way. I do think it's a it, it is an interesting one, and um, yeah, it's like the anti-hero. I think is is successful on that front. Yeah, although I thought I thought that funny enough that those aspects of the two characters meant that the outcome was just heavily signposted from the off. You know, he's he's the one cop that was driven out of Chicago because he wouldn't bow down to the mob and. He's the accountant that ripped off the mobster, but gave it all to charity. You know, it was it was just like, well, there's no there's no way that this is going to come out any other way than I anticipate it's going to come out because you yeah. know the the good as gold incorruptible cop isn't suddenly going <laughs> to leave some guy to die in prison. So any yeah. sort of sense of that jeopardy or any uncertainty about that ever going to happen just was lost the moment they introduced that bit. So it was like, oh, you're both so fucking good as gold. Hmm. It, it it actually ended up destroying any of the <laughs> any, like remote sense of uncertainty or tension in that in that relationship. It was that was it, they were almost too clean, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, well, the, um, the, 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 there isn't there isn't an inevitability to it, which is why I think the John Ashton character, the uh, Marvin Dorfler yes. character, I think is quite successful in that he is this, you know, he's the Terminator character, isn't he? That's always that's that that, that keeps coming and keeps well, the shit Terminator. Up. Yeah, the shit, but the really awful Terminator that keeps getting uh, the bumbling Terminator that, um, you know, playing against type. I, I actually, it totally makes sense that he's, for the same director, he's obviously in uh, Beverly Hills Cop as well, isn't he? Um, yes. As, as well, but he plays someone different here, but he's the sort of manifestation of corruption isn't he in this film and i do think that it obviously is signposted even taking into account the time um uh, it's that character that pushes them along and and is 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 the fate that pushes them into different situations another thing i did want to remind everyone of is is there's a great scene where de niro calls back um after they've had to get off the train after they had to get off the plane and he's like oh i'll uh you know if you if you you know if you turn me in again or something i'm going to shoot this guy and leave him in the swamp and just you know shakes his head to uh to the duke like oh i'm not going to do that it's it's just that is one bit yeah. that De Niro just did really well. I thought yeah. that still got a good laugh out of me. Um, and funny enough, as well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a good, I'm a sucker for the old look over there gag as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is um, which is funny because uh, to uh, we are massive. Um, oh, I was about uh, to say Paul. JJ to Essence Hall, yeah. Yeah, we're massive RuPaul fans. Uh, for anybody uh, here who's listened to us, we'll, uh, we keep talking about it. But yeah, there's a massive joke this season about, uh, look over there, and uh, <laughs> as a way of getting out of uh, having to deal with the situation. Yes. Yeah, I really enjoy John Aston's character in this one. He's such bumbling, like a real idiot. And um, there are lots of other characters that have that are all very good at what they do in every film that they're in. Yafakoto, I always have time for Yafakoto. And I'm sure I must have said it on here before, the, any any of the original uh, Alien cast just get a pass from me in almost everything. <laughs> I think they're like, you know, if I ever see Veronica Cartwright in any films, you know, Harry Dean Stanton, if I ever see any one of those, they all, they, they have just earned themselves this passport. Lifetime free yeah. pass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with me, uh, just uh, he is great. Um, Dennis Farina, yep. Joe Pantoliano, um, is ignorance is bliss. Um, from the we, we were quoting that like the the best, some of the best looking food in a film ever. That steak, yeah, that steak is great, isn't it? But it's that line is, is 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 great. Um, which uh, slight segue for a second. Um, you never know whether you can sort of pimp your own things. Uh, when you're uh, when you're doing another thing, but I uh, the uh, ignorance is bliss uh, idea um, makes its way into a a game that I made um, called Point of No Return, which is available to play on Game Jolt. I've made a game and an album and a thing, and a uh, little slight segue out of uh, this review for a second. If everyone anyone fancies playing a little game, it's very influenced by. Uh, by movies and the ideas and morality and which it kind of uh, relates to this film. If anyone would like to play it, please do. You, you, you have played it too, Dan, but thank you very much. Um, I have indeed. And uh, yeah, so if anyone uh, fancies a little bit of uh, experiencing the uh, well ideas of morality in a different way other than this podcast, please, please go and have a play. Let me know what you think. Um, but um, let's... Uh, Let's take a little, a little pause after my uh, outrageous uh, pimpage 
to have a little quiz. The quiz, Yay, the quiz is back. The quiz is back, Dan. Uh, are you are you happy to hear that the quiz is back? I'm very happy to hear. It. I was sure. disappointed there was no quiz last time, even though you were and rallying it... against the nation's <laughs> newfound love of trivia love in all of its forms. Everybody doing a bloody quiz at the moment. So let's just do our own one. And it is a return of another type of quiz we've done before. It's movie taglines. Yay. 80s and take... 90s movie tagline quiz. Ooh. For the tagline for Midnight Run was, this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship, which uh, it doesn't really make any sense. But um, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> so I've got 10 here and I will uh, give you the tagline. You just tell me the film. If you can't get it, you can uh, you can ask for a clue. Um, uh, you get half a point if you have a clue. Okay. Um, are you ready? I am Instead. ready. Okay, number one. His story will touch you, even though he can't. Casper? Nope. <laughs> Is it to do with a ghost? <laughs> hmm, oh, it's Ed- sorry, it's, Ed- it's Edward Scissorhands, isn't it? It is Edward Scissorhands, yeah. one point. Well done. Um, uh, question two. Man is the warmest place to hide. Oh, God. It's the thing, isn't it? It is the thing. Well done. Two for two. Uh, number three, does for rock and roll what the sound of music did for Hills? Spinal Tap. This is Spinal this Tap. This is Spinal and, uh, Tap, sorry. This is Spinal Tap and uh, quick, uh, should we have a little quick uh, rest in peace section? Oh, Fred Willard. Fred Willard. Uh, great, Fred um, Willard. Absolute you, comedy legend. You put it great in your tweet. Um, the uh, Whenever he turned up in a film, you just knew that everything was just going to get that a little bit funnier. Yes. And uh, love that. That was great. Um, so uh, three for three. Um, question four. The man with the hat is back, and this time he's bringing his dad. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And four for four. The uh, Question five. Uh, the dancing's over. Now it gets dirty. <laughs> is it Roadhouse? It is Roadhouse. Five for five. Are you going to have the perfect one? Um, question six. He's in town with a few days to kill. Oh, God, I do know this one. Oh, God. It's, um, do you say it's films of the 80s and 90s? 80s and 90s, yeah. It's a horror film, isn't it? Obviously. He's in town with a few days to kill. So I want to say that he's in town with a few days to kill. I want to say it's Halloween, but it's not, um, oh, shit, I do know this. I want to be so fucking angry. Uh, give me a clue. Hmm. Would you like a clue about the film, or would you like a clue of somebody that's in it? You can choose. Okay, I will have uh, someone who's in it. Uh, Danny Glover. Danny Glover? Oh, God. <laughs> that's not who I expected at all. <laughs> um, fuck. I know this is really annoying me. You are going to kick yourself. I am. It's Predator 2. It is Predator 2. <laughs> There's a half point for that one. Five Fuck. and a half. I'm so That's annoyed. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, question seven. When he said, I do, he never said what he did. <laughs> when he Ooh. said, I do, he never said what he did. This is the first one I don't recognize. Mm. Um... When he said "I do," he never. Is it true lies? It is true lies. Well done. I was I was literally um, working that out from the premise. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, there is no such thing as free cable. Um, it's not cable guy, is it? It is the cable guy. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, question nine. Um, reality is a thing of the past. Lawnmower man. No. Oh. Um. Reality is a thing of the. Uh, give me a clue. It stars not as the main character, Joe Pantoliano. Is that the tagline for The Matrix? It is. I didn't know Really? It yeah. Um, and uh, question 10. Uh-oh. Oh, God. There's another one I know. Um, clue. You, want a, you want a clue for this one? Yeah. It is a uh, movie of a um, well-loved animated show. Movie of a well. Big letters. Big letters. Uh-oh. Oh, God. Was it South Park? It was. Big, uh, <laughs> what was it called? Bigger, longer, and uncut. That's Bigger, right. longer, and uncut. Yeah. Fuck. All right. That, that Eight was... and a half out of ten. That's good. That's good. I think that's an all-time that high, isn't it? That is an all-time high. Eight I'm actually half. really angry about it getting a half point for Predator Two as well. <laughs> He's in town with a few days to kill, <sighs> Danny Glover. But that, that almost threw you as well. I think maybe you're going too deep down the uh, down the horror, down the horror route. Yeah, yeah. Because it was yeah. just like, it just, yeah, it's completely. It's kind of it's kind of a horror, isn't it? I don't I know. Like, of course, it was film. Yeah. Okay, um, but uh, <laughs> well done though. Eight and a half. That's a that's, that's a not bad. record. It's not bad. It's a good that's haul. That's good. But um, let's uh, let's go to uh, Chris Schilling's review, as is our uh, as is our tradition. Uh, Midnight Run is one of those eighties film staples that everyone's seen, except <laughs> somehow I hadn't until now. It's also one of those films that earned the cultural entered the cultural consciousness, even if you haven't seen it. I already knew the gist of the plot, and I knew it was considered something of a classic of its kind. I expected it to feel dated, and while I think it's showing its age in some respects, it works in all the ways that matter. The plot's not particularly original, and some of the twists and turns ask you to suspend a certain amount of disbelief, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the way it gave even the side characters plenty of room to shine, from the rival bounty hunter Marvin to Dennis Farina's mobster. Even short scenes such as the brief reunion with his wife and daughter are well played, and in that particular case, gently moving. The main appeal, of course, is De Niro and Grodin's odd couple bickering, while a lot of the humour essentially comes from the former telling the latter to shut up in a variety of ways. The performances, particularly from De Niro, are so enjoyable that it gets away with it. It's a real crowd-pleaser of a film, throwaway in some respects, yet one that has the affection for its characters that shines through. Ultimately, it's a really well-made and consistently entertaining genre piece, maybe no more than that, but sometimes that's exactly what you need. I feel like I was in a bad mood when I saw this film. Or <laughs> well, I think that maybe he's a, uh, you know, I say Chris is our, um, you know, we're fire and ice, and he's a uh, tepid water in between. Lukewarm water, <laughs> lukewarm water. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to quote Spinal Tap again. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with that. It's it, it's just one of those ones I feel has really been hurt by how much it's been ripped off and it, it was it was derivative to begin with so it doesn't really have much of a leg to stand on because anything original about it has kind of been taken and it wasn't that original to begin with so it's 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 a difficult one and and, and in particularly the vulnerability of de niro I think really, really shows. And that that's what I'm left with almost more than anything else just to, to, to kind of dive straight back into it again is, is, is that 
knowing De Niro and knowing his obvious ambitions to be this guy that isn't the psychopath gangster or or monster um it is just interest an interesting study in the one movie where he just really tried to step away from that um even within the movie within a scene within the performance he can't quite get away with it it's what he does it's what you know and then considering that he would go on to be frankenstein's monster and that he would go on to do cape fear and he would go on to do all of these other ones it's almost like you know, you had your chance here in Midnight Run. You had the money, you had the cast, you had, you know, all the, you had the cheesy Danny Elfman, you know, uh, guitar soundtrack and, you know, and it's not the one that people are remembering. So it's, um, that's what I find interesting now looking back on it, you know, as, as when you're thinking about legacy and he, you know, he obviously will be seen as, as, as one of the greatest actors of all time, not, take you know even just taking into account you know his 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 report card of of oscars um it is this film is just particularly interesting in in that regard i think this is one that you would look to to really show that he is a lot more versatile than pacino when the two are put up against each other um i've always been quite interested as to who would think to go with Pacino over over De Niro I think he's been a lot broader and a lot more successful when he has gone broader um but yeah it's, this is this is such an interesting study even even if you just take it for how people remember this style of film mm. it's a strange snapshot a snapshot isn't it as you say it's a, it's a weird snapshot of a certain I guess a, a pivotal point of De Niro's career Mm. Um, and also, I guess the the direction of cinema at that point as yeah. well, that the, that that kind of shift over to, uh, as you say, as you know, as you see more of this sort of school of, like, in in a way, it's more sensitive male comedies. And strangely mm. enough, Robert De Niro, who, as you say, had always played these, you know, either like borderline psychopaths or you know, mobster mobster types at this point. Um, w- was utterly playing against type here as a you know a cop with a heart of gold who was you know ultimately having to to to, to better himself and mm. uh, and I guess overcome his more even though he's incorruptible still still sort of held back by his macho instincts. Yeah, and Charles Grodin is the guy there, as James said, like a sort of guardian angel of sorts who forces him to uh, to, to to soften up a little bit. So. It, mm. I guess there is a bit of a turning point in the way that um, you know macho leading men were starting to be considered. De Niro is has made such a you know a great amount of films, and I do think this mid period and the stuff that he particularly did in the um, in the in the nineties and and moving on this having that power and that violent side to you but but you know what one does with that i think has been a real interesting uh, it, obviously heat which he would go on to do you know what's it five years six years later is a really interesting film in that gravitas of the character is is already earned 
just by nature of the way that De Niro plays it. You don't see the things that his character in Heat had done before, but you just know that he had done them. Mm. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, but that's you know that's that that's what De Niro can bring to a character. You can you can tell that he's been through it, that he's and and he would go on to really play with that much more successfully than he does here. Um, Copland, um, I mean, and but it's it his performance in Jackie Brown. I particularly just wanted just to, to to call out as I think his most successful version of that. I love, really love Jackie Brown. I think it's um, I think it's comfortably uh, Tarantino's best, um, uh, and I think De Niro is a really big part of that it's um you know slightly slightly controversial um as you know as under the specter of you know of, of, of following pulp fiction um tarantino but just what he was able to do with de niro and the fact that you can go for a long time thinking about jackie brown and thinking about the amazing performances in it and not really even consider that de niro's in it yeah <laughs> i don't really know but he's just so good in that film and i see this everyone go go and watch it again if they haven't watched it for a while again it's one of those ones that has a has an element of um midnight run to it it's almost a midnight run of the 90s in a way where it's everybody watched it and everybody enjoyed it i think everybody agreed no one's anti jackie brown i'm not trying to say i'm i'm sort of defending some deep cut here but i think <laughs> it, is, it is one that is is deserving of of, of re-evaluation just in particular how good uh robert de niro is is in that film it's funny you say that there's like he's it, probably the th- four, third or fourth name that i would think of in that film mm. yeah Obviously, Pam Greer being top, but then Rob, probably Robert Forster following after that. And then yeah. obviously, Samuel L. Jackson has his moment with Ordell as well. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, very, very strange. Thank you, everyone, for um, for uh, watching the film, for sending us your uh, your thoughts of, of it all. Um, and, uh, and Dan, for... Um, Finally, I'm glad that we managed to tick this one off your <laughs> of your list. You have seen it. I think it's uh yeah, it's one I'm I'm you know, I think in general maybe you know, I'm coming in a little grumpy about it, but I think that um in general I think it's quite interesting to to just have that counterpoint of somebody that's coming at it completely fresh and seeing it for I mean, seeing it for what it is. It is a flawed film. I you know, I'm I'm not I'm not saying that it isn't but it's one of those ones that definitely is more rewarding when you you know you have you kind of grown up with it and the feelings that you know that it it made you feel when you were younger i imagine i imagine i'd have the same response as you if i was asked to say watch robocop 2 (laughs) because robocop 2 has a weird sort of place in my heart and and i know full well that if i were to revisit robocop 2 today i'd be like actually it's not very good, is it? I don't think it was even thought it was very good back then either. But um, no. for some reason, I just absolutely rinsed that film over and over mm. again. That was my kind of forbidden film because I managed right. to get hold of a copy and I had a um, weird story, actually. I had a I had a sort of a pirated video copy of Robocop 2. Uh, and when I was about nine or ten, I went on holiday and my some people broke into my first home and basically broke into it and then they burnt the house down. So when we got back, my house was torched. My entire house was torched. Um, The only thing that survived was my pirate copy of Robocop 2. (laughs) (laughs) So you you have such fond memories of the film as the thing that survived that didn't want to leave you. (laughs) 
I don't worry, we've always got Robocop 2. We've always got Robocop 2, we've lost everything else. Lost we've everything got Robo- else, but at least I can watch this. Let's all sit around and look at the VHS and imagine yeah. what happens to Robocop. That's the one with the drug, isn't it, where they inject into the side of their necks. Yeah, the blue, it's called Nuke. Nuke, that's it, isn't it, yeah. It's, in, it's, like, a, it's like in a blue pouch and sort of squeeze it into their neck, yeah. Yeah. And it had it's a really great, good... It's got great, more great stop motion. Like they, they, when they did RoboCop two, the actual creation that mm. just, they decided to put the adult brain of a junkie into. Yeah. Pain. Um. Yeah. Then um. There's that, and then there's the weird, like, like the sort of Edward Furlong like sweary kid. Oh, of course, it's all coming back to me now. I like RoboCop two. I think it's good. It's a decent. Frank film. Frank Miller wrote yeah, so, yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've got time for Robocop too. Um, I always yeah, remember. Yeah. I always remember the kid had a really cool, like blue, collapsible machine gun. Oh god, yeah, it was like a um, a lunchbox. It looked like a lunchbox, yeah. and then he, yeah, then he um, turned into machine. Yeah, that was yeah, that yeah. film's cool. I like that film. Um, it gets a pass. We allow it. Um, but yeah, um, so uh, a I think it is definitely a thumbs up from me. Obviously, a uh, is, is this a middling? What's your where, where do you land? It's yeah, it's a, it's a wavering one. I I can't, oh, in all honesty, as I say, say that I wasn't checking my watch by the end of the film. Yeah, um, yeah, it's slightly baggy. That's fair. I yeah, I, I like I liked it. I think the more I've talked about it, as usual, I've it's got it's gone up in my estimation mm. a bit. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a bit too much of the shouty man's comedy for my liking, yeah. which is my least favorite genre of comedy. A um a slightly uh, a slightly nervous McCartney. Then let's leave it at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I would uh, so we'll, we will move on now to our um our recommendations, our warnings, and our recommendations. I quite like the um the uh, the new idea of uh, maybe warning people against <laughs> uh, against things um and i'm going to go first um and this is a mid warning i'm not done with the series yet but devs is my uh, is my is my warning it's um on paper everything i love in in modern uh, modern sci-fi it's got the right people in it it's got the right person doing the soundtrack. It's got the uh, the right director, but it just it just is not getting me there. I've got two more episodes to go, and um, know that it's leading towards an end point. And I can you know obviously it it, it is you know it's um I'm sure that it the the, the, the there will be a, a resolution to be had. But uh, yeah, uh, the journey so far has been one where I've been waiting for it to really kick in or for something to happen and and only during this last episode where the characters have a um have a meeting and to really discuss some of the the secrets of the of the of what's been going on um apart from that it has felt it it's really been a a bit fillery um for me um have you have you watched it watched it i have i've I've watched it i really enjoyed it yeah yeah I, i did think it suffered a bit too much from sort of ponderous dialogue that wasn't really saying much particularly with the younger characters if you really pick apart what they're saying to each other it's it's really quite vacuous Mm. but it's it's baggy and considering we're talking about this film um you know so far my feeling is and i know i will report back um uh, on how i feel when i when i finish the whole series but my overriding feeling at the moment is is that i could watch a series of ex machina 
and I think that the story and devs could have fit into a film. I think I would have rather had seen a whole yeah. uh, longer, longer episodes of the of the story of what happens where they're doing this test with this robot, and and all of the you know each week could have been a day in the in the week of the of the testing quite comfortably with everything that goes on. But this you know this one the, it just feels like there's there's a movie there's a movie there. But uh, not quite sure about the whole series. But uh, I yeah. found I actually found the the protagonist fairly dull. It was like I was much more interested in what was going on at Devs. Mm, like yeah. Nick Hoffman and Alison Pill are both great. Um, I don't know the name of the actors' names uh, from the top of my head, but mm. um, I believe the young developer who yeah. It's never mentioned, but I, I believe is is meant to be portrayed as trans because it's a female mm. actor. She's a you know she's she's a she's an actress, uh, but playing a male identifying character. And the relationship that he has with the with the older chap who's a dev yeah. as well is really lovely. That side of it I found a lot, a lot more interesting. She was a bit too much of a I don't know a cipher. Just things are happening, and she she speaks slowly about not much and mumbles quite a lot as well <laughs> um well, i found her a bit unlikable i mean yeah. as, as i say it's one of those ones where i'm not fully not all of my chips are going the ball is still going around the uh around the wheel so i won't say that uh it's finished yet and as i say i, I will uh report back but uh yeah be, be, I think, be aware i think when we were going to record earlier that was actually going to be my recommendation because <laughs> I, I still think it's, I still think as TV goes, I think I think it's a very I think it's a strong piece of TV. Right. I think it's I think it's incredibly shot. Um, it looks very mm. very expensive for a TV show. There are moments where you know it could have it could have been a film. It's it it feels to me like there is potential to have it edited down into a film length version. I um, think I'd like it a lot better. Yeah, yeah, but um, no, but I, I think it's worth watching. And to be honest, it's not. I think because the core idea at the heart of it, obviously people are trying to pick it apart. Hang on, did did I not actually recommend this in the previous episode? But you know, I think, uh, but I I had a feeling that you uh, we had a, uh, a um a chat a few days ago, and um, I'm preempting you uh, recommending Gangs of London. Oh <laughs> uh, right, well I'm no, I'm not. I'm, that's what not what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> Although I did really enjoy Gangs of London, it's it's so fucking stupid. But I, did, I, I thought did, I'd beat you to the punch. But, I did still uh, really sorry. enjoy, it, but that's no, that's not my off. that's not my recommendation. <laughs> well, would you like to make your recommendation? Uh, yes, yeah, so I have I have two recommendations. Uh, no warnings. Uh, no warnings. Two two hearty recommendations. Cool. The first is uh, I think a show I might have recommended a while back called Joe Perra Talks with You. Mm-hmm. Um, the, sec- the second series is now on Four OD. Um, and it's just as warm and and wonderful and funny as the as the first series. It's 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 brilliant. I love it so much. It's just a lovely sort of warm hug of a comedy. And Joe Perra, whether it's a bit or how he actually is, I I don't even know. He's so committed to that character. Um, it's just awesome. It's 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 a thing that takes a while to tune in because. I think each episode is only what 10, 11 minutes long. It's classic sort of adult swim fare. Mm. But um, once you sort of tune into it and then you realize that there is an underlying thread going on with him and all the characters around him, it's um, it, it just really takes on a whole new dimension. It's, it's, it's very well 
thought out. There is, I guess, world building in the world of Joe Pera. Um, there's just so much going on, but ultimately, it's always it's always very positive. There are people around him who are cynical, but who always sort of get turned around by him. He's just this very unique soul who just has such a askew viewpoint of everything, but without feeling contrived or you know affected in that way that certain wacky things are. This is this isn't wacky. It's 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 very grounded and just very thoughtful, and it's the absolute antithesis of most comedy of recent years particularly american comedy of recent years mm. it just really stands apart from it all um yeah and i just i just can't recommend it enough i will keep recommending it um <laughs> the, the 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 second thing that i've finished recently is a show called the outsider ah. this is a hbo show so it'll be uh you find it on now tv or if you're on Sky Atlantic, you know if you've got Sky Atlantic, it's 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 there. This is based on one of Stephen King's more recent novels. Um, it's uh, it's it's like a it's it's almost like Stephen King does True Detective in a way. Um, so there is obviously an underlying supernatural horror element because it's Stephen King, but you've got you've got Ben Mendelsohn as as the lead in it, surrounded by an incredibly strong cast i'm actually going to look up the name of uh the actress who plays um i guess the the kind of second main ben the men's always a, always a strong hire ben the men is is very good um her name is cynthia erivo she's actually a um she's from stockwell but she does an uh, an absolutely brilliant um American accent, fantastic cool. American accent, playing I think a recurring Stephen King character called Holly Gibney. Uh, Paddy Considine's in there as well. Oh, um, doing a, a fair crack at an American accent as well, and actually ends up being quite pivotal to the story. Uh, so I won't I won't ruin anything about it. It's just to say that there is a a murder, and all signs point to it being somebody, um, but a lot of it doesn't add up and it doesn't make sense. And so uh, Ben Mendelsohn, who's very fact-based and always looking for the science and the fact behind something, uh, is about to have his world turned upside down. Cool. Well, um, I thought that we would end and do something a little different in that. um, Have you seen The Mandalorian? Yes. All of them? Yes. Um, I thought that maybe we could have a little um, slight end end section here where if uh, you haven't seen uh, the mandalorian then um then uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, we are going to discuss it a little more if you haven't seen it and if you have then continue on with us um i would just like to uh yeah just sort of you know profess my love for it a bit it's um <laughs> really really enjoyed uh really enjoyed the show really enjoyed its intent um i uh, it's trying to do something different within the world i as a sort of a big star wars fan um giant star wars fan have have always been like is could there actually be a decent story without jedi in it without lightsabers and you know that, that is, that's genuinely fulfilling or will you always miss that element to it and i think that um the mandalorian is you know is uh, you know along with rogue one is 
is the one that really delivers a uh, a story. I mean, wh- wh- how did you get on with it? Did you did you enjoy the Mandalorian? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it um, sort of in a progressive way. I thought it was a show that just got better with mm. every episode. Yeah, I was. I was wasn't blown away by the first couple. It, mm. it really it spent two or three episodes winding up and and really getting to the crux of the story, yeah. And then once it got to that point, and we we sort of knew what the Mandalorian was about, and it really settled into its what I consider a latter day take on the original Incredible Hulk series and the Littlest Hobo. Mm. It's basically that in the Star Wars universe with a bounty hunter, you know, going from town to town and solving problems and then moving on to the next. It, it it and it and it and it unashamedly sort of wears that on its sleeve as well, even down to the end credits with the wonderful concept art and the way that they're, mm. they're presented. It just really has that vibe of a of a sort of early eighties show, and yet somehow obviously has those incredible Star Wars production values yeah. around it. Obviously, Baby Yoda is the one that gets all the 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 plaudits, the headlines, the love, everything. It's what makes Baby Yoda so special is just that it's a physical, yeah, tangible it's entity. Tangible. It's there, and you see people do things like you know mess with its hair a little bit and things like that. That just you can tell that the the, the crew and the cast sort of endeared themselves mm. to it as well as a thing, and just really highlights why I love puppetry and practical effects so much. You know, after obviously waxing positive so much, you know about. Um, dark crystal age of resistance this is just yet another example of why you shouldn't always rest on cg to solve your your problems just because cg makes things easier doesn't mean it's better like cg enhances what's there and clearly there's a degree of cg enhancement that's happening with that Mm. with that yoda throughout throughout the throughout the show but Mm. um when it when it counts it's it's a physical presence and that that's what really endears you to it um, but yes, I just I thought the way that it introduced characters, the way that it then sort of brought the gang back together th- towards the end of the series was was just mm. really well done. Um, I think Taika just absolutely smashed it. I'm not surprised he's doing a film off the back of what he did. Yeah, with that last episode, which which was really to get back to the heart of why people loved Star Wars, which was about the intimacy of the encounters. Um, and where I felt like the rise of Skywalker fell over, which was like, what if this, but times a million, mm. um, it was like, oh, let's let's see a bounty hunter finally get his wings and then has have to go one-on-one with a TIE fighter. It's like, that's awesome. Like, that's, mm. that's the sort of fan service that I want to be seeing. I don't like this idea of like more and bigger. It's, it's more these sort of what if matchups that you've always wanted to see happen instead. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so, yeah, I, th- I think you know it had great droid characters. It had, it just, it just had all the elements that made you love, that made you fall in love with Star Wars in the first place. And it, and it, it was just, and it had, and it had, un- importantly, a sense of direction. Um, you know, it was, it was full of foreshadowing. It was, it was full mm. of characters that you thought you might not see again, who then all sort of regrouped. There was just loads of stuff. That, that that just worked wonderfully. The only thing I didn't need to see again was his flashbacks to when his family <laughs> family put him away. Those sorts yeah. of weirdly protracted scenes of his armor being forged while he was having the flashbacks. 
Yeah. I think they basically was... re- they almost replayed that in its entirety twice, which I thought was a very odd creative decision. Well, I think it was obviously trying to bring something to a head by the end of the series because you obviously see the full flashback in yes. the last episode. Um, and I think that there are these, there are some tropes that I just feel have real connective tissue with the old Flash Gordon TV show. So, which was obviously a, a, a massive influence on George Lucas to even create Star Wars in the yes. first place. So, I think that some of those bits. I just really don't mind and give it, you know, some of the kind of hokier side to it. And and the reason why I wanted to talk about it on, on this episode is obviously the the idea of a, of a you know troubled bounty hunter is is obviously what what Midnight Run is, is about, and um, it's something that I find I find really interesting. And it I watched it, you know, we we did a series of watching it with my um, with my little boys just before bed, where we were the last twenty minutes before bedtime, we would sit around as a, as a whole family and and watch the Mandalorian <laughs> um, uh, over over the course of a of of a week of a week and a bit, and it just was just so lovely. It brought us all together. We're all singing the theme tune. We're like, what's Mandalorian doing this? today or like you know and it's got it was a little tiny bit more action to it than i i normally let them watch at, at their age and so it, it, the prison episode where they they drop in on the um prison ship to pick yes. up the guy you know mid mid one with the richard aoade yes um droid part of it you know there was it's actually quite violent and the boys were like loving it and then the end, <laughs> you know they kind of uh you know they felt you know it's, it's always nice to feel like you're getting a little something bit cheeky that you'd never watch so i, I recommend you know if you've got boys of a similar age mine are eight and five if you uh if you um you know want to kind of you know experience that with them i think it works really well um i think it's it's one of those shows where I gives me a little bit of heart about what will happen with Star Wars, what could happen with Star Wars. As you say, Taika, who directed this last episode and played the droid, uh, the droid bounty hunter, is being given his. I think it's just a film, right? It's not a trilogy. No, it's just a film. Stupid. I don't know why they give people pre give people trilogies as they apparently did with with Ryan Johnson. Just like. Don't worry about the the uh, the weight of saying somebody has to make three films. Just let them make one first. And I think poor um, I do feel sorry in Hollywood for uh, you know Josh Trank, you know the the guy yes. that's been fired from so many films. I think the weight of being given films and franchises and stuff. You know the, the poor guys never really had a fair crack at stuff, but. Um, I, I, it gives me heart that the Star Wars is 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 going to go in is is going to go in the right direction, and it, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it it does. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I don't mind it when you know a certain director or writer is is given a trilogy because if anything, the most recent trilogy has highlighted what happens when you start bouncing around people without having any sort of plan of what that overarching story is. Mm. You know, they were making up what happens from film to film. It was literally the the game of folding the page giving it to the next person and getting them to finish the story of how they thought mm. it, it should carry on. And it, and it really, those three films really don't feel like they have much connective tissue. So someone coming in and going, okay, I'm doing these three films and I, you know, I, I can so seize in the first film that are really going to come to fruition in the, in the third film. And I actually think Ryan Johnson, given the chance, will, will do that if it, yeah. if it comes to, you know, if it eventually comes to pass because fucking hell, 
it feels like every man and his dog is getting a Star Wars film, but how many of those will actually happen yeah. remains to be seen. So, um, so yeah. Well, it, I, I, I think it was right. Sorry to interrupt. I, I think it was right that they took the uh, the Benioff and Weiss yes. one back. I think that was. Uh, yeah. I think they do deserve. They do deserve the uh, the, the uh, credit card being cancelled. <laughs> yeah, I think I think, I think it, it fairly recently was revealed that they were chances of sorts. Mm. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I think Disney, I think Disney might have realised that at some point. I went, yeah, actually, no. I, I'm going to change the locks and not give you any of the <laughs> newly cut keys, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> it is, yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, as I say, um, uh, and um, something to be discussed about the idea of uh, perhaps including um, Disney Plus titles in our in our um, list of of services that we draw draw films from i would uh, i would potentially quite like to get into uh rise of skywalker with you properly uh oh, one day um to see uh, and see how you go with it so, but so um, it's, yeah it's a thumbs down spoiler um <laughs> i think i can th- turn th- you around the, the only thing with disney plus around. is i've cancelled it after a month so all oh, right okay give me fair warning <laughs> i will i will give you fair warning if we do but um but yes um if you would like to be involved with episode 20, Ooh. which is uh, sounds crazy, the next episode being episode 20, um, let us know. Uh, let us know on Twitter. I can be found on there and Instagram under the uh, Monica, not Monica, not the name Monica, but the the, the other word for a name, uh, Alex, 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 which is uh, ALX three times. Um, and Dan can be found at Mr. Pointyhead. At Mr. Pointyhead. And uh, all that remains is for us to say uh, bye bye. Stay safe out there and, uh, and look after yourselves. Um, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Farewell.